Homily for the 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time, July 19, 2020. St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks. One of my favorite ways to get exercise in the summer is by taking long bike rides around town. The fact that Grand Forks is one of the flattest places on planet Earth makes it all the easier. Anyway, I was on the path by the railroad tracks, uh, the path that goes under the Demers overpass. A dad with several small children were coming from the other way, and a girl about four years old was in the center of the path. Something on her left caught her eye, and at the last moment, she walked over right into my side. I was starting to slam on the brakes when her brother yanked her out of the way. No harm, no foul, but as I passed by, I heard her dad call her name and ask, What are you doing? Like Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane from the Dukes of Hazard would have said, We almost had a horrendous crash. Her dad probably spoke to his daughter and reminded her that she has to be careful and watch out for others. Later that day, do you suppose, he told her, that's it, we can never, ever go out walking with you again? Of course not. She's little, she's learning, and she made a mistake. Welcome to the human race, right? Well, I brought up this story in reference to the first parable Jesus told in today's gospel. The farmer showed a level of patience that would gather the harvest without being hasty and doing damage to the wheat. One thing that we need to remember is that the Lord uses parables not in order to grasp onto their every detail literally. Parables are vehicles to communicate spiritual truth. For example, many a farmer would hear that first parable and say, Father, I'm sorry, but it doesn't work that way. You have to spray the fields early on and take care of the weeds quickly. If you don't, those weeds will gobble up the available nutrients and compromise the crop. Then you'll hardly have anything left to harvest. We realize this is true. There's no call to ignore the best practices of crop sciences. But let's use the story as an analogy. Each of us here can think of someone we know who tries our patience. Maybe they've even harmed us or taken advantage of us in the past. In our pride, we become callous. We say, oh no you don't, I'm not putting up with that garbage anymore, I'm fed up with you. We're inclined to dole out a small, finite amount of forgiveness. The time will come when we choose to stampede through the field and tear out every last weed in order to be done with them regardless of the damage we may cause. Now let's take a step further and insert God into the analogy. The evil one not only sneaks in and sows the weeds, but he tries to persuade us that there's nothing that can be done about the mess in which we find ourselves. However, we know perfectly well what we hope for from God. We rely on God's gentleness toward us. We count on receiving second, third, and fourth chances, despite our own sinfulness. So how do we explain our own hardness of heart to others? And how will those we meet learn about the reconciliation God offers through the church if we do not celebrate receiving that gift ourselves? The most effective way Jesus brings this parable to life for us is in the sacrament of confession. 
one of the main effects of confession, according to the Catechism, is that it anticipates our final judgment. Here's what that means. There will be a final judgment of the world at the end of time. But at the moment of our death, each of us faces a particular judgment. Think of a checklist or summary of our faith lives, written in permanent ink. As Jesus holds the paper in his hands, nothing we say can change what is written down. Our verbal testimony will either correspond to our deeds or contradict it. And what would lying to the Lord gain us? He who knows us inside and out. Every time we bear our souls in confession, we encounter Jesus the just judge, not in a severe finality, but in his overflowing compassion. The more we deal with him in love, the more Jesus will mold our hearts and cast out the impurities that do not belong there. And when we do take our leave of this world, Christ will be all the more familiar to us for the many times we asked him to wipe our souls clean. I, for one, don't want to put off immersing myself in God's mercy until a single final moment. It's something like taking a college course and only having one final exam accounting for the whole grade. If I could build up the average over the term with smaller projects and assignments, there's less pressure to perform well on my deathbed, provided that my death will not be sudden or tragic. Why put all the weight on the very end if I don't need to? The next two parables of Jesus referred to the growth of a mustard seed and yeast mingled into bread dough. Once again, let's not take the details of the parable so completely literally that it distracts us from the moral of the story. There are those who would object and say, wait a minute, there are smaller seeds than the mustard seed in nature. Jesus was not a botanist, and neither were any of his listeners. His purpose was to call our attention to the paradox before us. A seed as small as a mustard seed could hardly be expected to produce a plant more than a needle protruding a few inches from the ground. But the contrary is true. The mustard plant at maturity has the height and width that rivals shrubs. It doesn't seem possible for it to be so. Our church's history is filled with mustard seed examples. One of the apostles comes to a city where no one has even heard of Jesus of Nazareth. Ignatius of Loyola gathered a few companions while at the University of Paris who would implement a new religious order and charism of spirituality that was spreading through much of Europe by the time he passed away. Mother Teresa was teaching in an elementary school in Calcutta when she felt the Lord tugging on her heart to apply herself in a new direction. She rolled up her sleeves and started gathering up neglected, dying children and adults languishing in the streets, even though there were far more of them than she could help in person. She once described her ministry of caring for the poorest of the poor as finding Jesus in one of his most distressing disguises. Each of these people took to heart the image of a mustard seed. None of them waited for enough support or the right marketing campaign. Rather, they shared the gifts God gave them as best they could. 
knowing that his grace provided the growth to build up his kingdom. As for the image of yeast in the bread dough, hardly anything describes the role of a Christian as well. Each of us is in the world, but not to be of the world. Hostile and belligerent voices should no more be able to derail us than they could remove yeast from a rising mass of dough. This requires courage on our part, both to bring the love of Christ wherever we go and to stay in the fight. Bringing high volume and crudeness doesn't make one's message true or just. Bullying one's opponents may attract attention, but virtue is what stands the test of time. Amen.